This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Rewilding is quite different from traditional nature conservation where you, you know, you set up a nature reserve or, or there's a particular bird or a particular plant that's rare and you're trying to conserve, um, which is valuable, of course. But what rewilding is trying to do over perhaps a larger area is actually to bring back the wild. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Alexander McNamara, online editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. The UK government's official climate advisers recently reported that the country's greenhouse gas emissions must fall to zero by 2050 in order to tackle the growing threat of man-made climate change. However, it seems unlikely that we'll be able to reach this target by simply burning less fossil fuel and cutting down on international travel. So, what else can be done? Environmental charity Rewilding Britain thinks that the answer is to let large areas of the country return to their pre-agricultural state to restore natural carbon sequestering environments such as peat bogs, heaths and salt marshes. Here's the BBC Science Focus commissioning editor Jason Goodyear talking to environmental researcher Mark Linus about the potential beneficial effects of rewilding. First of all, for, for those of our listeners who don't know, who've never heard about this concept before, can you just briefly run over the, the basic outline of what rewilding is. Okay, so rewilding is quite different from traditional nature conservation where you you know you set up a nature reserve or, or there's a particular bird or a particular plant that's rare and you're trying to conserve, um, which is valuable, of course. But what rewilding is trying to do over perhaps a larger area 
is actually to bring back the wild. It's to bring back nature in a more self-willed way where natural ecosystems can begin to can begin to re- rejuvenate and restore the land um, in the way that, uh, that, you know, so species can more or less, uh, you know, design their own ecosystems rather than having human management um, defining every single aspect of, of what goes on in what should be a natural environment. So essentially for rewilding, you aim to remove almost as the entirety of the influence of humans. I mean, you, you can't do that, of course, because there's always air pollution and, you know, there's a multitude of, of wider things going on. But you don't manage the land um, unless you absolutely have to because of an invasive species or something. You don't manage the land or the water in any direct sense. So you let nature more or less do its thing um, and, and return to the wild. It's pretty much what it says on, what it says on the tin when sure. you talk about rewilding. So are we talking about specific uh, types of terrain and landscape? Well, in the report that Rewilding Britain's just produced, uh, there is um, certainly a lot of talk about very some some very specific and, and unique ecosystems that the UK has. Uh, in particular, for upland areas, peat bogs, uh, blanket bogs in particular, um, which have been heavily degraded in past decades by by drainage, by burning, management for grouse moors, and uh, overgrazing by sheep, um, and to the extent that they don't largely sequester peat anymore. So these are huge, huge reserves of carbon um, draped across the, the tops of many of our upland areas, um, which haven't been managed properly. Um, so what needs to happen is that these areas need to be need, need to be rewetted so that the peat uh, forming vegetation can return. We need to get most of the grazing animals off there so that the the, the plants can actually grow, and let it return to doing its thing which is removing carbon from the atmosphere so say i'm uh, i'm a farmer i've got a um some, some land that i'm i'm up for um having rewilded so how would i go about that and what would happen what sort of you know what would happen in the first six months then after a year etc well the thing about farming is that it's a business um and the point of the Rewilding Britain report is that we're recognising that farmers need to be supported um, when we're looking at ecological restoration and carbon sequestration. Um, these aren't things that you can expect uh, farmers to do for free and still make money. I mean, there are business opportunities with diversification, with ecotourism and so on. But um, you've always got to think about how farmers are going to make a living. And if, if you're talking about sheep farmers or livestock farmers, and you're asking them to remove the the stocking density, then you know how do they how do they continue to make a make a profit out of that? So the point of the report is to look at how we can restructure farming subsidies because pretty much all upland farming and a good deal of, of farming more widely is supported largely by subsidies, um, which are paid by land area uh, by by and large. Um, so that doesn't support environmental objectives. And if we can restructure these subsidies in a way that they do support the environment, then that has to be a way to to help support farmers um, move towards uh, more ecological uh, types of land use activities, including rewilding. Sure. So can are these subsidies, excuse me, currently at the uh, you know an, an attractive enough level to to entice these farmers to to take take them up? Well, all farmers, pretty much, who've got substantial areas of land will take the subsidies um, because the hectareage payments are, are quite high. You get uh, a, a, what's called basic payment, which are you know hundreds of pounds per hectare um, under the Common Agricultural Policy. 
What the opportunity is that we've identified here, of course, is Brexit, um, which means that, um, assuming it all goes ahead, that the the UK will be leaving the common agricultural policy, and therefore has the opportunity to design a more a new and more sustainable system for agricultural subsidies, which we're suggesting focuses uh, hectareage payments on carbon sequestration, because it's one of the th- one of the things you actually can quantify to a certain extent is say, well, how much. You know, if you're allowing a forest to regenerate on this grassland, how much extra carbon is it going to sequester? If you rewet this peat bog and allow it to return to absorbing carbon, then how much, you know, how many tons is it going to be per hectare? Put a price on those and you can pay the farmers accordingly. Okay, so you mentioned that, yeah, concentrating on on, uh, carbon emissions for for obvious reasons. But there are also several other benefits from from doing this sort of thing, isn't there? Like reversing a loss of biodiversity or even um, flood protection. That's right. I mean, these things are more difficult to quantify um, because, you know, you can't price biodiversity quite as simply as you can price carbon. And carbon already has a price in the economy. um, And you can you can feed that back and say, well, you know, you can determine how many tons uh, each ecosystem is going to absorb and you can pay farmers or landholders accordingly. Um, For biodiversity, I mean, how much is a curlew worth? I mean, how much is particular species of orchid worth how much is uh, you know some some rare bumblebee worth and so it's difficult it's much more difficult and much more controversial to try and price that but where in general um if you do support carbon sequestration that does require wilder ecosystems and in general that's better for biodiversity overall it isn't always the case there's some specialist species that that um you know need particular types of farming and that should continue to happen and should continue to be supported but by and large a rewilding will benefit um, the, the the broadest way the biodiversity out of any kind of um of land use we think sure so um just sort of as it the the situation currently stands what sort of impact does the agricultural industry you know what contribution does it make to greenhouse gas emissions in in the uk well, agriculture at the moment releases a huge amount of uh, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Um, the UK Climate Change Committee, which is the government advisory body, um, recently suggested that we should move to net zero by 2050, so tightening up the Climate Change Act target. Um, but it was quite noticeable, actually, that Wales couldn't go to net zero. They said 95% simply because it has so many sheep. And sheep um, release a lot of methane through enteric fermentation, being ruminants. Um, and there's there's not a lot you can do about that when you've got sheep grazing grasslands. So the only thing you could do really is to reduce the, the numbers of sheep, sure. which actually would be good for biodiversity too, because um, you know, you've heard the term sheep wrecked. A lot of the uplands uh, in Wales and elsewhere in, in the UK are um, overgrazed to the extent that there's very little else up there except a few species of grass and moss and a few other a few other bits and pieces, but very little in terms of actual um, widespread biodiversity. So that's really what we want to encourage farmers to move back towards. So going forward, what sort of scale would um, that these types of projects need to be on in order to make a significant impact on greenhouse gas emissions? Well, we quantified it about six million hectares, which, um, you know, the newspaper headlines were, you know, the, the rewilding Britain calls for rewilding a, a quarter of the UK's land area, which would be great. Um, I mean, these were just in, indicative figures. But if we if we were to do that, we could um, sequester about 10% of the 
of the UK's emissions. And so that's, you know, we remember we've got to not just cut emissions to zero, we've got to reabsorb the accumulated carbon that's already up there if we're to meet the climate change targets of uh, two, two degrees or 1.5 degrees. <laughs> so how do you get that carbon back out of the atmosphere? Well, allowing rewilded ecosystems to begin to sequester carbon again is one of the options. But remember, you've got to push farming in a, in a net zero direction as well. And there's a lot, a lot going on. I mean, plowing releases carbon from the soils. Um, all of the machinery, tractors and so on are, of course, burning diesel, subsidized diesel as well, red diesel, which uh, comes out much cheaper than than commercial diesel. Um, fertilizers, you know, nitrogen, nitrogenous fertilizers would re- release uh, nitrous oxides, um, which are also powerful greenhouse gases. So it's a complicated picture with farming. It's much more difficult to get a grasp of than just, say, getting coal off the power sector and, you know, decarbonizing the electricity grid. Sure. So that was so that six million hectare figure. Do you know what um, the situation currently stands at? Um, well, it's difficult to quantify now. It's 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 probably the case that the UK's peat bogs are net emitters. Um, that's including lowland peat, which is currently um, you know in the Fenlands areas ploughed up for agriculture because it's it's very rich land. So that's likely to continue. There's still also peat being extracted for for garden you know garden peat and so on, and that really absolutely has to stop. And I think it's likely to stop. Um, and also a lot of burnings going on in the upland areas for and, and management for grouse um, solely, as well as constant grazing by sheep. So. If you if you reverse all of that, then you can get to a stage where we're seeing peat bogs absorbing uh, millions of tons of carbon a year, um, which of course is how they came to exist in the first place. Peat bogs are just very large stores of, of wet carbon, um, so we need to restore them back to a kind of healthy balance. So, for those of us that live in cities, I've, they might be a bit surprised to hear about the importance of peat bogs, but they actually cover quite a lot of the UK, don't they? I think, I think in, in terms of a proportion of its area, the UK has more peat, uh, certainly more blanket bogs than anywhere else in the world, um, and it's a it's globally a very rare habitat. Um, contains tens of millions of tons of carbon already sequestered. Um, so if that's if that gets released, that's uh, you know uh, really pushing things disastrously in the wrong direction in terms of the climate crisis. And as you mentioned earlier, um, a, a quite a substantial proportion of of our water supply, certainly in the north of England, for example, and and Wales too, comes from peat, peatland areas, peatland sources. So if those bogs are in um, in a good good condition, then the water that comes off is is nice and clean and can you know go directly to to water consumers. If, if they're not in good condition, it's very brown, it's full of full of organic matter and so on, and has to be cleaned. So, um, sort of <coughs> going, going off... Oh, no, no problem. Uh, just um, <laughs> going off on a, a slightly different tangent now, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of interest uh, down here in the southwest with the, with the reintroduction of native species, particularly beavers. Yeah. So, I mean, what kind of... Is there a role for animals to play in this? Oh, absolutely, because <laughs> it's not, you know, you don't have an ecosystem just composed solely of plants um, and certain species are what's considered keystone species beavers and uh, a good example of that because they they're ecosystem engineers i mean they because they they uh, cut down the trees along the edges of streams and build these dams they create large new areas of wetland uh, which then produce habitat for lots of other species like fish and dragonflies and so on um, so so beavers if you do see them introduced <clears throat> excuse me if you do see them introduced on riverine habitats they can actually improve the quality of the habitat and also encourage it to sequester more carbon. So they're absolutely, an all, beavers are an all-round good thing. 
Um, and of course, you need predator species as well. So links, perhaps um, ospreys, goshawks. You know, a lot of species which are which would be present in a, in a wilder, more natural habitat within the sort of the, the UK biome are not there, and uh, we should encourage them to return. Wild boar is another example, by the way. They were, I mean, they're beginning to come back in some areas, but they were extirpated several hundred years ago. Um, so you know, the more species you get in the ecosystem, the more natural the the what what you know the trophic situation so that the food chain can become okay so um in a perfect world going forward the next five years what what would you like to see happen well i I would like to see um the report looked at by government and um it's it's uh proposals um hopefully brought into policy they're actually in line already with what the government's suggesting so they have this idea of public payments for public goods so if you're going to p- pay farmers public money i mean it's not a charitable endeavor farmers aren't objectives of aren't, aren't recipients shouldn't be recipients of public charity um they should be doing something which the public values and protecting so sequestering carbon and protecting nature um you know certainly delivers a public good at the moment farmers are paid simply to farm and, and a lot of that farming while it does of course produce food is environmentally quite destructive so let's incentivize farmers to move in a different direction when we're going to give them public money i was just mentioning the food though i mean is there any difference in the impact like you mentioned the sheep <clears throat> earlier with um arable versus livestock farming well cheaper it's quite a <clears throat> peculiar situation where we more or less import and export the same amount of, of lamb um, because I think to, uh, uh, the the UK tastes are for, for, for supermarkets to have these big fat, you know, uh, joints of lamb, whereas the Welsh lamb tends to be uh, a bit leaner, um, doesn't look as good on the supermarket shelf. So the most, but, but that's, that's uh, very valued in Eastern Europe and the Middle East. So we, it, it's kind of crazy, but we import and export the same amount. Uh, and, and also, if you look at the productivity of the uplands, um, you, you, you know, just a relatively small number of sheep can ecologically impact a very large area and not produce much meat from it either. So by reducing the stocking rates of the uplands, we're not going to be sacrificing much in terms of UK um, food uh, sustainability. Um, but you could make a big difference in terms of in terms of biodiversity. Arable is a different issue because that's much less subsidy supported and it's much more in a, in a kind of wider global commodity market. So we'll have to look at that. But it's you know it is important that the UK continue to produce food and continue to make its farming more more sustainable. Uh, you know I, I personally think that you can see some intensification still in the lowland areas in order to spare larger areas of land in the uplands and elsewhere where, where it can return to nature. But you can't do that, of course, at the price of reducing the amount of food we produce overall. Sure. So if there's kind of one message that you'd like our listeners to take away, what would that be? Well, rewilding doesn't have to be over a huge scale. Um, if you have even a you know an acre of land or even just a, a back garden, you know, there's already a campaign not to mow, to leave the flowers for pollinating insects. So rewilding is, is almost a state of mind as much as anything else as it's a state of land use. So um, please, please support the efforts of your, your local farmers or local landholders to, to begin to rewild as much of the land as they can. That was Mark Linus talking about the impact rewilding could have on the UK's climate goals. If you go wild for science... The latest issue of BBC Science Focus is packed full of features, news and interviews to help you make sense of the world around you. In the July 2019 issue, we look at the breakthroughs showing us dinosaurs' true colours, ask what it means to be a man, and head inside the lab that's making human organs from scratch. 
We now have more than 75 episodes of the Science Focus podcast, each of which is still well worth a listen. So why don't you go back and listen to a few? We think you'll really enjoy them, so be sure to let us know what you think in the comments and reviews. It really helps us get the show out there. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.